What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is, it just is. Especially with the latest AB Live, audio version for thee in this eternal now. And Ask Me Anything was the perfect topic as I hit 100 AB Live shows. I was joined by Dr. Joanna Kuyawa, author of The Other Goddess, and Dan Morse, author of The Divine Spark Within. We exchanged Gnostic ideas while answering some thought-provoking questions. Topics included the origins of Gnosticism, the Cathars, sex magic, Egyptian mysticism, Mary Magdalene, and how to gain that self-knowledge, that Gnosis, to break out of the simulation and into your authentic self. Entire audio is available to everyone, as this is a celebration and milestone. As I mentioned at the start of the interview, and after a promo video, the Virtual Alexandria Academy is now open. Link on the show notes and on my homepage. But here's a brief summary of online education you won't find anywhere else on the internet. You get four modules, more than 25 hours, and 15 plus classes of visually stunning videos, slides, and commentaries from me, and even some experts, academics, and theologians in the Gnostic field. There are detailed instructions, audio video recreations, and materials you can use for research or incorporation into your spiritual praxis. 
There are downloadable assets like prayers to the Gnostic goddess, vowel magic and chanting science, astral flight rituals, and more. The virtual Alexandria Academy also includes Gnostic astral journey diagrams, magical seal graphics, and detailed reconstructions of Gnostic rituals, and bonus videos to better understand the module themes, and much more. As a holiday rollout promo, get 20% off with the code AOMBITE, one word. And check out Joanna's course too, and certainly Dan's great book. We need Gnosis more than ever in this age of Hermes, Philip K. Dick world and Gnostic times. Expect more violence, wars, rising addiction and suicide rates, mass depression and societal collapse until more look inward while breaking the outward spell of Yaldibaldi and his Epstein angels. You won't find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom or many of my guests and their unique insights anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. Other than that, let us to our 100th AB Live celebration. Let's party like it's 1899. And here is a clip from that very show we discussed too in the interview. We're born into this world either a seeker or an avoider. To be an avoider is pure bliss. To be a seeker, on the other hand, brings nothing but pain. You will open every door, step into the darkest voids, driven by the urge to gain more knowledge. Contrary to your brother, you were born a seeker. And I wish now that you weren't. You tried to get rid of your pain, but all you did was create more pain. Stop! This is just one of your sick mind games. You give me more credit than I deserve. This is not my sick mind game. It's yours. You are the creator. not true. You created this. You and your husband. This is your design. You forced this path into everyone. They're all trapped in this loop because of you. I will leave this godforsaken place now. And for you, it's time to forget again. Welcome, everybody. We are officially live. Uh, some of you might be saying, what was that? Yes, a new intro video. Actually, a promo video for the new course I just released, a soft release today, the Virtual Alexandria Academy, and it is live to the world. Like, we are live now, more than 20 videos, more than 15 videos, more than 20, 25 hours of education. It is me creating a thorough, exciting, encompassing, approachable Gnostic course. Uh, that covers everything from the origins of Gnosticism, several texts, including Thunder Perfect Mind, Gospel of Thomas, many of the Gnostic sects, their rituals, whether you are interested in history, you are a practitioner, or just want to expand your mind, this is the course for you. 
I will have uh, information on the show notes can you, that you can check out. There is a promo discount. Uh, there is so much. There are download for those of you who take the course, downloadable materials, bonuses, quizzes, the whole shebang. So check it out, and uh, I will have more. I don't want to spend too much time because this podcast is also the Gnostic course. And tonight, I'm very excited. We are celebrating 100 shows, and it seemed like a good time to simply have our first Ask Me Anything and to expand to answer your questions because there's always so much to learn when it comes to the Gnostics, the Hermeticists, and all their satellites. So welcome, everybody, and I see you already in the chat room. Good to see you. Appreciate your company. And our guests tonight are excellent. They certainly have a lot of gnosis. And first of all, I'd like to welcome Dr. Joanna Cuyava, my friend and a great scholar. How are you, Joanna? I'm good. Thank you, Miguel, for inviting me here. What an honor and pleasure. Pleasure is all ours, of course, but always fun to talk to you, of course. And with us, too, we've got Dan Morse, who was on recently and whose book, uh, the Divine Spark Within. I am read it like twice. I'm using so much of the scholarship. It's one of the best books, along with Joanna's book, The Other Goddess on Gnosticism, Modern, Historical, Updated, Spiritual. Dan, thank you very much for coming back. It's great to be here once again, Miguel. Certainly. And last but never least, uh, as I said the other day, my favorite American since Jesus Christ, and that is the dog moon, the moon dog Vance. Vance, how are you? Oh, I'm fine tonight. Um, I, I'm, I'm, really, uh, I'm really happy that I managed to spot Ron Perlman's wife in the course promo video. Yeah, you know that huge goddess that she goes in the room there? That's Ron Perl- <laughs> Perlman's wife. <laughs> I see the big jaw there. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> Good old Ron Perlman, huh? Yeah, he's a, quite a character, quite a character, and I used to reference him much. And uh, So, no, great to see you, Vance, and... For those of you who might want to know, uh, AB Live just kind of started as a lark. I mean, it was, I think, end of 2019, and it was kind of like, hey, let's get together, Vance, with some other people, and let's just talk current events, social, political things. It was called Heretics Anonymous, Uh, and it just got rebranded because it was so spread out with a Braxis brief, and this is like... And so forth. And uh, we were just uh, shooting the shit and uh, guests would come in and out like Tracy Twyman would join join us one week and so forth. And uh, eventually just kind of evolved into part of AM Byte, except it's the live part where the audience can ask questions, uh, where we can show some visuals and so forth. And it always comes out in some audio version. Also, too, uh, the whole political thing and social political, which really wasn't working because it's like you have to have a stance every week on the current thing. And then I I was feeling we're part of the whole divide and conquer. You know, these political comment, even philosophical commentators, they got to take a stance and we we were losing sight of what matter, what is timeless, what is eternal. 
all that good stuff. And uh, so it just uh, sort of evolved into AB Live and uh, have a lot of fun with it. And we shall continue. But we've never done an Ask Me Anything, although people can ask questions in the Facebook group. They can ask questions in the Discord channel. And I get plenty of uh, emails and so forth on it. And I already have some questions for some of you. As always, please write your questions in all caps. For Vance, uh, question marks. If you have a super chat, of course, you will get thrown up. It to the front of the line can be a dollar, fifty cents, whatever. It's no, whatever you can contribute. I don't think I have. Uh, do I have any house cleaning? No. Uh, the course, Virtual Alexandra Academy, will have some news with Joanna in a little bit. Uh, for the next show. Very excited after this. We will have uh, Howard Marzinski, Makowski, sorry. He just came out with a book called Exit Plato's Cave, and it's very good. Uh, Straight up, the ethos of Aeon Bai touches upon all the things we talk about on the show, but he has some great insights on uh, things that people have missed on Plato's Cave, on the Cathars near-death experiences, but he talks about the simulation, and it's very edgy. Uh, so Many of you like uh, Ola Waldney's interview because she brought so much edge and new ideas. Howard does the same thing in his interview, so I think you'll enjoy it. So that will be out in a couple of days. So we continue our war against the Archons and other good shows coming in December to end 2022. So other than that, I guess uh, first, as I mentioned before the interview, there is always a lot of misconception, misconceptions about Gnosticism. So uh, I thought we could talk about our pet peeves and then go on to audience questions. But uh, Joanna, what are some of the myths? Um, by myths, I mean wrong things, fictions, not like, you know, Joseph Campbell. Is, but what's some, what are some of the myths about Gnosticism that irk you or that you would like to correct in your from your stance? Oh, I don't know if I want to correct them. I just kind of <laughs> reflected upon them. You know, for example, in my book, I was trying to do this. And in my blogging, when I was talking about uh, Gnostics and sexuality, because I, my general um, assumption is that celibacy is a little bit of a myth. We all are celibate occasionally, but in spiritual terms, most of us groups were actually not ascetic necessarily, and they were not avoiding sexuality. In fact, they had often a very radical approach towards sexuality, which uh, I came across simply because I was looking for something similar when I was a student of Kashmir Shaivism, which is a tantric, esoteric tantra and esoteric school of um, tantra and Hinduism. So um, I thought that the Gnostics were unnecessarily presented as a body-hating uh, uh, you know, people, when in fact they just had a completely different approach towards body and towards um you know, and towards sexuality. So I think that perhaps it would be the most radical thing that I want to say. And of course, you know, because I had a sneak preview for everybody of uh, Miguel's course, and he also covers this in one of his modules. It's a fantastic course. So, uh, and I don't know how long you want me to talk about, but you also had a Tobias Cherton on the show who, who wrote a wonderful book on Gnostic Mysteries of Sex, 
and I just kind of uh, adjusted it in my book, you know, simplify it a little bit. But whether it is Venaseni or Periatics, I focus on these two groups because they really basically follow all kinds of radical teachings of radical Tantra. And the same, so they basically talk about serpent, which is Kundalini energy. They talk about, uh, you know, drinking sexual fluids to achieve the kingdom of God, you know, wild stuff, right? So not exactly ascetic and not exactly body hating, but what uh, Gnostic, which obviously it is a kind of... Uh, very general description, as we know, right? What the Gnostic are often believed, it is that um, uh, they didn't want to procreate, right? Which is very different than avoiding eros or avoiding sexuality. So, um, so this is, I think, one of major misconceptions about Gnostics. And then it basically goes to the Cathars as well, because Cathars were often portrayed in, in southern France as, you know, uh, uh, very aesthetic and body hating. When in fact, again, they were Ransiman, Stephen Ransiman, who was who wrote the Medieval Manique, which which was like a standard book on uh, on, on on the Cathars for and still considered, you know, is the main book on the Cathars really in in in, in modern scholarship. You know, he was a little bit of a materialist, so he didn't really go into spirituality. But he said that was a misconception. Cathar, Cathars also believed that, you know, they didn't want to procreate, but they didn't avoid sexuality, right? So, in fact, um, I just sometimes wonder, and we're starting kind of on a kinky side here, but uh, <laughs> I just sometimes wonder when, the, for example, the French love, you know, or oral sex actually had to do with the Cathars because they were looking, they were accused of looking for inventive ways to avoid pregnancy, why they engage in sexuality sometimes in a very flamboyant way. And in fact, I don't remember because it was still when I was at the, at the University of Toronto, I remember there was this Cathar teacher that somehow is not known in English literature, because a French professor told me, who was, who was like a rock star, you know, he had a, he was like Dionysus or Bacchus, you know, he had a following of groupies and, you know, there was a scandal because he was sleeping with all of these women and he was a Cathar. Mm. Okay. So, so this is what I'm saying. There are all of these misconceptions because, and if I'm just not on the roll, so let me finish, because when I was actually uh, studying at the Pontifical Institute and I was talking to a nun and I said, oh, how do you deal with, you know, no sex? <laughs> and she says, who told you that we don't have sex? She, she says, celibacy doesn't mean not having sex. Celibacy means not producing children. So I realized that even in the Catholic Church, there is this fine distinction. <laughs> you know? And it blew my mind. I kind of stood there <laughs> in her office. A loophole. And I thought, I was in a loophole and this is like, not what I thought. So I think that this, um, I try to touch upon it in my book, but I think some serious academic who just wants to do academic stuff, I consider myself more as a bridge between academia and, you know, and, 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 and myself, really, you know, then I, I think reconsider what uh, sexuality actually meant for the Gnostics, because there is a plenty evidence of... Uh, you know, that it wasn't this way. And in fact, there were all kinds of accusations about, you know, promiscuity and just different approach towards sexuality. So. 
That's uh, yeah, really well said, Joanna. And uh, yes, peerless loser. Yes, there is a somebody call that in the chat. I'm not insulting one of the people. <laughs> in the league, but yes, I have seen 1899, and it is some of the best Gnostic content this year, along with the show Severance. Uh, so uh, definitely check out both. Are very very good, and I am already stealing clips. And but yeah, Joanna, you're right. The Gnostics were. In my presentation, it's two hours, and it goes in how the Gnostics were pretty wild about this or yeah. pretty moderate. It was very important. Eros was very important to the yeah. Gnostics, mm -hmm. except perhaps for anything in the Thomas sign community, Acts of Thomas, mm -hmm. Gospel of... Mm -hmm. There was, and I probably a yeah. Syrian contingent that just decided we're going to take another path, which is fine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, Encretism became very popular in the fourth and fifth century in the Roman Empire. So those behind the Book of You, even other texts decided we're going to try this. But yeah, sexuality was not an issue with the Gnostics, unlike the, the Roman Catholic counterparts, if you would. In fact, Valentinus might have saved the entire church from being completely celibate and having no marriage and all that. And you've written about it. Uh, April DeConnick has written about it. He was really this. Yes, he was uh, Valentinus. He was Rudolph Valentino of his time. You know? <laughs> I love it, Rudolph yeah. Valentino. He's a great actor. I, I loved. So, if he uh, failed, there wouldn't be a Catholic Church, right? In one generation, they'd all be gone. No procreation. <laughs> exactly. But I just want to add 1899. I just stopped watching it. We were watching it. It was watching with my husband, and it is amazing. Like if you're in a simulation, it's just completely simulation thing, you know. So for most of the time, I didn't know what it was about, except that it was about simulation, the world being a complete simulation. So uh, very, very good show. I agree. Agreed. It's fun. Well, Dan, uh, what do you think? Do you have anything to say about what we're saying, or any misconceptions in the simulation? on Gnosticism or from what people have reacted to your book or anything like that? Yes. Well, myths uh, or misconceptions of Gnosticism. I, you know, it's, um, uh, it's been, it's been what, 1700 years of misconceptions that have uh, at least plagued this tradition. Uh, and uh, you know, it's so funny. It's, uh, what the the old adage you know history is written by the victors i mean is this is maybe the most shining example of this uh uh catholicism the roman orthodox tradition um you know is uh essentially wrote out and changed the story um in order to highlight um you know a, a an orthodox system that was essentially contrary to uh, Gnosticism. Uh, and so, you know, if we were to sort of backtrack or reverse engineer, look back through the texts and the traditions, it's pretty clear that Gnosticism uh, it, it emerged at least alongside Christianity, if not a little before. And uh, the mystical tradition of, of uh, Gnosticism uh, was you know, really independent of Christianity and, and, and particularly Orthodox Christianity. And so how do we account for this? This is, this is very strange. And um, of course, 
the New Testament and the heresiologists would, you know, say, especially the heresiologists and the early um, architects of Christianity would say that it's just, it's a heresy. Gnosticism is a heresy. Gnosticism is a bastardization of Christianity. And so if we're to play the heresy game, I think that Gnosticism is more a heresy, it's a Jewish heresy. Gnosticism did, it was the Jews hate, you know, Judaism was so offended by Gnosticism, you know, uh, especially the idea of Yahweh being the Demiurge. You know, what an outrageous idea. <clears throat> but if we're to take heresy even further, we might say that Christianity is a Gnostic heresy. Christianity has taken a, a more, perhaps a more original, more uh, comprehensive, broad-based system and kind of chiseled it down and packaged it in a way that could be, you know, assimil more assimilable to more people and a church could be founded around it and it could be replicated and uh, there could be, you know, a hierarchy that could support that particular tradition. So yes, Gnosticism has had a tough road in the last 1700 years. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Can, can I just uh, intercept here? Because this is very interesting uh, point of view and I really like what you're saying. But I also think, you know, um, about this French scholar, Jean-Yves Leloup, who I'm completely admiring. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that you know him. He just has, for me, the most subtle explanations of Gnostic documents, from my point of view. So, so I'm a big fan of him. He, he, he says that, you know, why do we have to actually make this kind of division between like Christianity and uh, Gnostics or Gnostico? He says they're just different religious movements. It was a very kind of interesting time, you know, first century BC and AD, right? Uh, uh, spiritually, right? There were different movements arising from the, uh, from the Holy Land or Palestine or, you know, and Egypt, and they're mixing together. And just some of them were more, you know, uh, easy to organize, so to speak, right? Uh, when others were more uh, kind of difficult to organize and uh, resistant to, to institutionalization. And that's actually the only difference rather than who held them all truth, basically. So it's not like the Gnosticoi had completely different, they did have a completely different view, of, I agree, but that they were on a side and there was this Christian movement when in fact it was just all kind of weaving together and then some of them were just uh, basically picked up as easier to, to control or organize. What do you think about that? Curious. Yes, I, I, I think that uh, mm, it's almost uh, it's similar to the relationship between the exoteric and the esoteric mm. um, and the, uh, the relationship between heterodoxy and orthodoxy, that yes, heterodoxy was really what was happening back in that day, you know, back in the late first century BC, early first century AD, that, you know, so many traditions, Egyptian, you know, Greek, uh, Persian, uh, just all intermingling and very exciting. And, um, and yet it, it really was the uh, political arm, I think, of the Roman uh, Orthodox uh, system that attempted to really 
define a more singularity, you know, a more singular system, uh, and and cutting out the the diversity, and 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 literally calling it, you know, calling heterodoxy heresy, you know, heresy, of course, meaning more, you know, that it's really open-ended uh, concepts and and diversity of thought, you know. Um, so, but it's hard, it's hard to say, you know, what really was going on back in that day. <laughs> you know? Well, look at things the way things are today. You know, the, the leaders of these movements, you know, um, you know, accuse each other of being heretics. But the general population that vaguely follows Catholicism or, you know, Protestantism or whatever they're following, they're all heretics because none of them really follow the movements 100%. Uh, especially look look at the Catholics, right? How many people, you know, believe in birth control, which, you know, for the Catholics, which is taboo. And, and, and a lot of people don't even know what the movement is. So I bet you way back when, you know, wasn't that all the Gnostics were like really died in the old Gnostics. They're probably people that gravitated over there and believed in a lot of things. And I bet you the reality was kind of just as mushed up as we have today. Indeed, I would say, and I do have actually as a surprise, a small presentation which actually deals with the origins of Gnosticism or very distinct. But yeah, I would say the, the key to the Gnostics is this tapping directly or grabbing the baton or being the direct inheritors of the Egyptian mysteries. I think even even the most recent work, April DeConnick, Dr. David Litwa says, yes, they were the, they, the Hermeticists and the Neoplatonists were coming out of Alexandria with this ancient, ancient Hermes uh, religion, dying religion, and they kept it alive. And it is completely distinct from Christianity, Judaism, even though some of the participants were Jews, were pagans, and so forth, but this was completely different. And it is completely unique because the Egyptian psyche mentality was dying, this idea of non-linear time uh, and how everything is eternal and timeless uh, the egyptians weren't uh, obsessed with death they were obsessed with eternity they saw the universe completely different than we did and uh, the hermeticists and the gnostics and the neoplatonists as they call the religion of the mind where everything is psyche and everything goes to eternity and emanates from eternity is what they had i mean there's this quote I had here. I like it a lot. Um, it's from, I don't want a ticker, but it says, uh, the pyramid doesn't stand for something. It makes something visible. This is from Osman from the, the mind of Egypt. And then this other scholar was talking about the Egyptian mentality. And he said, um, you don't believe in the gods. You believed in your eyes. That's how the Egyptians saw things. If you open your eyes, you're going to see the gods. You're going to see beyond the veil. You're going to see eternity. And I think that's what uh, the Gnostics, the Hermeticists, and the Neoplatonists were sort of uh, were digging into. And, yeah, I'll have more for sure. Uh, do you guys, we can go to the next question, or do you have a comment on what I said? Time is no issue tonight, or today for Joanna. <laughs> Are we doing? Uh, are we doing the questions from the uh, listeners, the viewers, or? or um, uh, no, have I have there? a question. I wanted because these questions actually is something that all four of us can deal. Where are these questions? Maybe I'll, I'll just uh, pipe sure. in just for a quick moment, and that is to say, um, all of this is one massive Rorschach. <laughs> <laughs> Always. 
you know, and, and it's really, it's, it's where we're coming from as we look into it and what meaning, you know, can we make from it? That that's maybe the most important thing. I don't know from my point of view. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of plays into the Egyptian Lord, doesn't it? Because <laughs> everything was on the table. Everything was one point in time. Um, let's see questions. I know, uh, Nate, the occult fan, wanted to know how many moon dogs fit on the tip of a pin. So I don't know, Vance, if you want to address that. <laughs> I'll pass. <laughs> he seriously asked that, okay. Uh, the other question uh, came from uh, Patreon, Svava, and uh, she asked me, I'd like to know which early Christian groups could have been organized by women. Uh, is it possible the Sethians could have been such a group? If the much later mystery groups, also perhaps Templars who flew the flag, also associated with Mary Magdalene, were protecting the sacred feminine, and which went underground. I did send her my video that shows that obviously that uh, the Mandeans say that there was a woman named Marian who founded it. The Nicenes claim there was a woman named Marian. Uh, the Carpocratians traced their line to Salome. You had uh, Marcelina, who founded her very successful church in Rome, and obviously Mary Magdalene. Whenever in those times, if you had a gospel written for you, it always—it wasn't just in a bookshelf. I mean, there was an entire community that supported that gospel, and that gospel was a living myth and teaching. So there was uh, plenty of that. The Sethians, as uh, we've shown the Sethians were like the secret society. They did not put their names on thing. Uh, Plotinus does mention some Sethians, but they did not offer up their names and they pretty much kept themselves underground. But as it's been argued by Andrew Phillips Smith on the origin of the world could, because of its uh, very feminine tone and talking about period blood and birth pangs, it's, it could have been written might have been written by a woman, so perhaps that's it. But other than that, Joanna, do you want to address anything? Cathars, feminine, Mary Magdalene on the question? You actually answers, answered it beautifully because I was thinking immediately about Marcelina and the most recent work by Dr. David Litwa on Marcelina. I'm still waiting to buy his book, actually. But uh, I was very impressed, you know, uh, with, with his talk on, on Eon Byte. And also, um, the person who asked the question uh, asked about the Templars, because there is a kind of uh, almost anecdotal tradition about it, but there are people who did a very good research that most of the churches um, devoted, in, built by um, the Templars, were devoted to Mary Magdalene, and they opened on the 22nd of July, which is the Feast of Mary Magdalene in the Catholic Church. So we are still trying to find out what is the exact connection between the Templars and Mary Magdalene, but there was definitely something there. We also know, uh, you know, earlier, the Cathars, we also know that uh, they did believe, although it, is, uh, it was not known until, you know, maybe a couple of decades ago, that Mary Magdalene was, as they called, concubine of Jesus. Because as you know, the, they were all burned at the stake and tortured. And all we know about their beliefs really is what the inquisitors uh, wrote down, right? And so one inquisitor, Peter de Verneur, I think, he said that uh, uh, that under torture, uh, one of the Cathars uh, said that, you know, uh, that they believe that Mary Magdalene was a Jesus's concubine, right? So 
but he said it sarcastically. So obviously the Qatar movement was also very popular with the troubadours, which were the poets of love. And, and, and the troubadours were always uh, singing about this, you know, beautiful, unachievable lady. And it was always assumed that it's perhaps very Mary, uh, Virgin Mary and so on. But obviously there's alternative research now showing that uh, perhaps it was about Mary Magdalene because there was unprecedented number of women that joined a Qatar movement, partially because probably they could uh, be uh, preachers and uh, they could be the perfecti after the consolamentum, right, which made them into the perfecti, the, the healers, but uh, also because they had a example of Mary Magdalene as, you know, as the prominent uh, spiritual teacher. So um, I think there are plenty of examples, but they still have to be explored more because these traditions were repressed, right? So everybody is, it, it requires a very intense detective work, but there are many scholars who who look into it now. So it's a fantastic question, thank you. But you basically answered it before me, so really good answer. All right, Dan, what do you think? You've also worked on the, Cathar on the Cathars and the Knights Templars. Yeah, it's uh, clearly Mary Magdalene plays a key role in what we, you know, what I've called the um, uh, the new revelation of wisdom that emerged out of first century. Uh, there's there's certainly a, a a clear, distinct sort of body of theology that emerged out of that, and Mary Magdalene is right in there, you know, as a you know very inner circle uh, player. Uh, of course, Pista Sophia, you know, features her. And it was interesting because um, I had heard from G.R.S. Mead uh, that, where I read from him, that um, uh, that uh, Pista Sophia uh, probably uh, came from a, a document called Questions of Mary. Mm, so, mm -hmm. really? and, um, and there's uh, something called the Greater Questions of Mary, which, um, you know, it's, there's no copy of it available. And then lesser uh, questions of Mary, uh, where there is reference to that document in one of the heresiologists. I don't know if it's Epiphanius, but um, and in that there are references to the sexual rights that were some of these Gnostic groups were, were uh, conducting, and it oh. may have been an effort to try to discredit the Gnostics, you know, by including that. But uh, but anyway, you know, all that's, that's a say. very pornographic one. The question of Mary. Uh, yes, that, and and I didn't realize that until I was <laughs> until that it was a surprise. <laughs> it reminds me of a quote by church historian. This is a recent one about the Gnostics: a nasty-minded adolescent of somewhat pornographic <laughs> tendencies. I'll take it. Sure, yeah. yeah <laughs> the Gnostics were bros, huh? <laughs> but but I think there actually in the questions of Mary, Jesus produces a woman next to him and starts to have sex with her. This is what he means by pornography, I think, which is not so pornographic, really, right? It's just just the idea. Mary's not of... happy with it. Mary's <laughs> a little upset about the whole thing. So. But if I can add something by what Don said, which was yes, yeah, spot on. Thank you, Don. That actually Jean Yves Leloup also says that uh, that the questions of Mary and, you know, the birth of Mary, because sometimes it was uh, translated as the questions of Mary and so on, they actually, uh, Pistis Sophia is like a more poli polite rendition of what mm -hmm. was there. 
Yeah. Right. And even in Pistis Sophia, Mary Magdalene asked, I think, 39 out of 42 questions. Right. So mm -hmm. how more prominent you could yeah. be. Right. And at yeah. the end, I think, as per usual, it's Peter who says, what's going on? Right. Uh, <laughs> shut her up. So. Uh, so, yes. So, so there yeah. are these documents and I'm delighted to read them because uh, and, and, and of course, the Gospel of Mary. Right, so um, 42 questions, we... so Egyptian, yeah. so Egyptian. <laughs> right well, great well, answer, yeah. So, uh, go so ahead, Mary, then. yeah, um, uh, Mary Magdalene went to southern France, and you know, I, I, I'm less familiar with the, the you know, the, the rigorous sort of scholarship around Mary Magdalene, but clearly, uh, she was quite an influential, uh, um, adept, um leading into the Benedictine uh, order and things like that. But um, um, I, I think just sort of stepping back from, from the Magdalene, you know, just acknowledging, you know, Sophia as being kind of the, the great archetype of, of the divine feminine um, that this Gnostic tradition championed. And so, it, it, it does seem like women were much more involved and much more welcome into the Gnostic circles of that, of that time, you know? Um, and, and uh, so I, you know, and, and I think just in general, uh, we could, we could say maybe back then, but certainly now um, we, we're looking at the Gnostic tradition as a resource to help to, for us to, to pivot, uh, to you know, out of the patriarchy to reclaim uh, the feminine aspect, which has been so trounced for so long, and uh, so at least in that way, I think we um, you can say that the the feminine aspect in this tradition is very very welcome and very strong. Indeed, and well said. Well, the next question I had, and this is more personal, from a Patreon, Sebastian, <clears throat> and he asks. How and why do you keep on living in this world? Do you choose to believe certain things? How has your worldview evolved? How do you currently think about this life, construct, everything? Is there anything that you are sure about? What is your best advice for anybody in life? Very powerful question. And it's been brought, the old, well, if the world is so bad, why don't you just kill yourself and, you know, you're in the Demiage, which I've addressed many times, because, of course, that's exactly what the Ouroboros wants. And just drink your your pain and just shoot you out in another incarnation. There is no, no one here gets out alive. But for that, the one thing I am sure about is that we each have a sacred mission. And this mission mm -hmm. comes from our higher self, from mm -hmm. Sophia, from your soul, from your ancestors. It doesn't matter but we all have a unique mission that is not just life-changing, but universe-changing, that helps restore the universe. It's uh, what Mark Twain said, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. And Twain is 100% mm -hmm. right. And if we don't listen to our ego, if we don't listen to the programming of our culture, of the archons of our family, and we listen within, we're going to find out what our mission is. And how do you know when you're getting close to your mission? You're energized. You feel ecstasy. You might not even know what the entire mission is. Maybe you won't know. Maybe you're only allowed to know something in this world, but you will feel driven, 
energized. Maybe you'll still be depressed, sad, uh, all that, but you will feel that sense of purpose and ecstasy that you are really part of the rescue operation of Sophia. I can't tell you if this is a simulation 100% or if I've seen Archons, but I know this with all of my heart. This is true. Mark Twain knew it. All the great ones know this. They were humble. They they said, my example is your example. So, And uh, as somebody once told me, if you're constrained by your beliefs and your worldview and you're sad, get rid of them. Your worldview, your beliefs are a fiction somebody told you. You can change them anytime you want. You can create a better story and you can move on. So don't like your worldview. Don't like your beliefs. Get rid of them. Find a better story. It's all programming. So that's what I had. And I had a little time to think about it. And again, people have asked me, why don't you just kill yourself and fool the demiurge? So, uh, Joanna, would you like to speak yes, to this? Yes, that's really well put, Miguel. But I was also thinking because it kind of leads us towards, you know, the topic of uh, the archons, you know, because in our days it seems very apparent that definitely there, there are some, right, there's something going on. I'm not denying yeah, it. But, you know, the old, the old hermeneutic saying that is also the same, uh, the same actually in esoteric uh, Hinduism, it is as uh, above, so below. But I think hermeneutics are also said, and actually, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene is saying, as below, so above. You know, I'm just paraphrasing because, which means it is actually up to us. And actually, our interior life can change our exterior life, so to speak. So, uh, and it takes, as you said, focus also as that. So actually, the archons, whoever they are, you know, can stay in power only if, if we let them, right? If we gather our energy, right? And, 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 and the gather the inner spark then, right? Mm -hmm. then, uh, then it's not only that it's from above to below, but it's below to the above. You know, we change, we shift the cosmic powers actually through the power of this inner spark, you know, which all esoteric traditions talk about, you know. And, and I think that I am going to go radical here, although it's a good, you know, <laughs> I'm sure audience for this. It is that, um, uh, that actually, oh no, I lost myself in what I was saying, but that actually we are capable of changing this, you know, so we, we, we are in possession of this power, you know, so, so we, we can actually expel them, you know, by focusing on the gnosis, which is also for me an inner spark. This is a different translation of, of gnosis, really. So it's not only as above, so below, but as below, so above. And I think in the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, when she's talking about soul traveling through the different climates, which really like bad conditioning or, you know, bad tendencies of our personalities and other souls, I think she's not necessarily ta uh, talking about different eons, but about our own inner life, about on us psychology. If we are, can get rid of these negative tendencies, the structures within us, then the structures above us and around us will also change. And I think uh, I'm totally for, you know, see the reality the way what so-called conspiracy theorists are saying, because, you know, it, it, it is just so apparent nowadays. At the same time, I might say that I do not agree with the pessimism of uh, because it means, okay, what can we do? When I think the gospel of Mary Magdalene is giving us the tools, you know, what bothers you most in the world, find it in yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, work on it. So release it, 
right? So, so, so you, whether it is greed, you know, if greed bothers you in the world, you know, release your own greed, you know, what are you, what are you hungry for, you know, that your ego is tormenting you. And this is when you, you shift the external structures and cosmic structures. Does it make sense? Mm -hmm. that, 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 that's my mm -hmm. interpretation of gospel mm -hmm. of Mary rather than you know mm -hmm. uh, because it empowers you once you take responsibility it, it, it empowers you right that actually through improving myself I you know dispel the archons this, this actually yeah uh, wonderful uh, and it, it reminds me of a, a, a saying in the um, I think it's the three Stellas of Seth one, one of the uh, the Gospels uh, the Gnostic in the, in the Nakamati uh, library uh, the way of ascent is the way of descent and and it seems to correspond to what you're saying it's this this uh, um, how do we, how do we ascend well it's actually how, how do we descend? You know, how, how does this work? Uh, and so if incarnation, you know, birth coming into this body, you know, is a, is a, is a descent into third dimensional reality, it's the soul kind of becoming confined into an initiatory sort of school of life where, you know, we've, we've, we've sort of gotten overlaid with layers of maybe misguidance and, and uh, ways of coping and trauma. It's it's a matter of us working our way out of that in order to to regain and reclaim more of our original sort of sense of self, and you know the the whole based on what I'm hearing from the question, I think that all of this and Gnosticism can be quite confusing, and 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 if uh, a person may maybe get disoriented in in the the swarm in the sea of all of this and and i just think it's so important to um yeah stay stay rooted in the personal subjective what is meaningful to you what are you what are you noticing here in this you know uh, today and um and what is maybe um something that you could let go of and what could you know what could you emerge into but i think um, it's very it's very unique to each of us and for you know I can't tell you or you know neither of us can really tell you what you need to do in order to figure it out that's got to be something that's coming through your you know internally say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill well said, yeah. Funny, that little presentation I have, that's exactly the quote I'm using, Dan, because all your answers, I mean, all our trauma, our complexes, everything, we can all our solutions, if we just trace it right back to the source, childhood, mm. before child, ancestors, the answers are all right there. That's why the Gnostics were obsessed with the past, because that was the way you get to the end and to eternity. And how do we do all of this? Like you said, Dan, very confusing. Well, Tonight I was driving with my daughter. I picked her up from ballet and we have kind of where we, we switch songs on my phone while we're playing on the radio. And she plays Taylor Swift. And I'm like, 
<laughs> you know, in the front seat, like, and it's, I was like, I just paid, I just played a Cat Stevens song, <laughs> and you're gonna give me Taylor Swift, but it's a song anti-hero, and I'm listening, mm. and suddenly uh, one part she goes, uh, "I will stare at the sun, but I will never look in the mirror," and I was like, "Holy moly, what a mm. moment of gnosis!" That's it. Mm. I mean, she's being. She's setting, she's putting it right there. Look inward, look at yourself. Mm -hmm. The sun mm -hmm. is where you blind yourself, the ego, the solar gods. And but if you look in the mirror, if you look within, and I listen to the rest of the song, I'm like, wow, this song is really about self-knowledge. My God, my I stand correct. Well, I still like Cat Stevens, but okay, I'll give Taylor Swift this one song. That's <laughs> it. No more. So that's how we do it. <laughs> So awesome. This conversation's great. I wanted to play another video. This is for Joanna and what she is also offering. Then she can explain about it. Uh, for those of you in audio, I'll have to skip and put it on the show notes because there's no uh, uh, narration. And then we will get to some audience questions because there's a lot of them. Maybe we need to do this, a, uh, this ask me anything once a month or once every two months because the interest is very high. But let me play this, and then I'll give Joanna the chair one sec. All right. Well, Joanna, tell us about your course. First of all, I would like to thank Miguel for, you know, using his creative spirit because he created this trailer, and I'm immoderately happy about it because he did such a beautiful job on this. So thank you. And it is it is very uplifting as I want it to be because this course, which is the goddesses of Eros and secret knowledge is a companion to the book, the other goddess, but it can be taken separately also. And, and it basically wants to look into the possibility of Eros as a positive power in our life, because as Carl Jung was arguing, you know, we cannot argue the shadow out of existence. So we are also, not only, you know, because sometimes it is misunderstood. Thank you, Anne. Uh, I don't want to be misunderstood. You know, of course, there's a dark side to sexuality, but everybody knows it. And somehow we are almost forced to focus on this aspect of Eros. And I think like with anything with Gnosticism, and here I'm kind of a, a, a Gnostic in this, I said, well, what if we look at it differently? And in fact, what if there were traditions, which they were, and, you know, esoteric Hinduism, esoteric Tantra, and I'm talking about proper Tantra, Hindu proper Tantra, not, you know, what is necessarily practiced in the West, which is Neo-Tantra. Uh, and, and, you know, also in Gnosticism and also the relationship, possible relationship between Mary Magdalene and Jesus, not necessarily is as this kind of holy family, you know, as Margaret Sterbert presented it, although it was a fantastic idea, but maybe more of sexual alchemy using arrows for the advancement of expansion of human consciousness. And I think this is much more important whether they were married or that they had children, or my goodness, whether they started some idiotic French dynasty, which didn't accomplish <laughs> anything of value, right? So, so I think that it's very interesting. And I also look at different priestesses and archetypes of Mary Magdalene, starting with Nimna and Inanna and and, uh, and uh, Hathor, of course, and Isis. So, so uh, if you're interested in this, you know, whether the book or the course, and, and can I just say one more thing? Because uh, I don't know if people know here, the creators of, uh, of Magical Egypt, the series, they're a fantastic series, which look into esoteric Egypt. 
And during the solstice uh, on the 21st, I think it, it will be about 7 p.m. New York time, I will be giving a talk, a webinar for them on um, uh, Mary Magdalene in Esoteric Egypt. So perhaps yeah. you can join it as well, which is uh, because this has to be explored. You know, it's just so exciting, you know, just, just, just giving a different interpretation and approaching eros differently in a positive joyful expansive way thank you mm, wonderful yeah the video was a blast if anybody needs help or would like some of these trailers these are fun with Joanna. it was easy i just thought of the book and i said celebration joy because this is what it is the return of the goddess arrows uh the time where we can still speculate about the Gnosis, the ancient Egyptians, Hermes, all this really cool stuff and all to help us again, not stare at the sun and look in the mirror <laughs> at the end of the day like Taylor Swift. So um, it was wonderful. Yeah. And uh, again, your book is great and look forward to the your presentation. Awesome. Uh, anything to say, Dan, before we get to some audience questions? Right, Looks wonderful, Joanna. Yeah, yeah, check it out. And mm -hmm. again, it will be on the show notes after the show, both in the audio and the YouTube and the Rockfin and all these other places uh, that I put it. Well, Vance, uh, any questions, comments from the or the audience Super Chats? Oh, I've been collecting them up. But we'll start with the Super Chats, of course. Asterox, our buddy. Um, and this, this could take the rest of the show, but we'll have to be careful. Could we define Gnosticism by stating what it isn't, what it is not? Hmm. Well, I think, let me put that presentation later, because I think it really separates even more, isolates Gnosticism. And it shows how unique, again, it was compared to Western religions. I don't want to get into Eastern, because Easterns were even ahead of the time in many ways so uh and uh yeah it's anna almost who gets kicked out of every gnostic group except ours yes except uh, our, yeah. never ours. <laughs> we cannot kick him out of our group yeah uh anything else oh yeah um we got oh, we got plenty of them we got uh laurie johnson another super chat thank you laurie and of course thank you, thank you anonymous um laurie uh Wants to know what we, here's another one that could take the whole show up. Um, what do we think about Thunder Perfect Mind? Is this a description or a monologue of Sophia? I'll let Dan or Joanna, I have some thoughts and I've done the presentation. Mm -hmm. There's a course mm -hmm. on it at uh, Virtual Alexandria Academy. Mm -hmm. I'll let you It's a powerful, that. it's a powerful text. Incredible. There's uh, the, the idea that Sophia makes herself known through thunder it is a very compelling uh, idea. Um, and, um, but uh, I, I, it's, 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 uh, um, yeah, that's all I'll say about that right now. <laughs> I, I just like to add something because actually I think Miguel has more to say about it because I, I've, I've seen his course and he has this wonderful lecture on thunder. So, you know, uh, I just want to add that for me, when I was reading it, um, I, I love the contradictions there because these contradictions are really uh, contradictions of human nature. And also because it's in a feminine voice, it's contradiction of the feminine that 
contradictions of the, of the goddess, which I also felt, and many women, I think all women feel it, you know, it's, it's, it's not only about being a mother, it's not only about, you know, being a virgin, it is, I, I love, you know, she's a mother, she's a whore, you know, she, she's stupid and she's wise. And this is the most powerful, the most powerful, I think, actually poem for me about human nature, not only about the feminine, you know, but the, and also very celebratory in a way, like, I am all of it. It's almost like the voice of the divine, feminine or masculine, except for this one, I think happened to be in a feminine, feminine voice. It is like, I am all of it. And, and I can experience all of this. And I am in charge of it. You know, like I claim my power. I, I love it. I claim my power to this amazing diversity, amazing possibilities. I can be all of that. Right. So I would say that the main message of this is do not limit yourself, you know, get out of your head. You know, you are all of that. Yeah. Beautifully said. Uh, yeah. Um, she talking about Sophia. Thunder is, again, as you said, Joanna and Dan have said, completely unique because we have a lot of eratologies of gods and goddesses where they speak about themselves. Uh, the golden ass has one. There's several of Isis. And the thing is that they are, they're always supreme and cool and badass and just awesome. This is the first time where you have a supreme goddess who is completely humiliated by both humanity and other gods. She's been taken to the depths of humiliation, abuse, rape, rejection, everything you can think of, but she's also been up. You don't find that in ancient literature. So then we have to look, uh, scholars debate about who she is, but you then you have to look at the characters. What, ca what goddesses have gone through this? Well, there's not many. You have the Shekinah in Jewish tradition. You have Sophia. And you have uh, the Celestial Eve. That's it. So those it has to be one of those three or a variation. Prunik. There's variations in the Gnostic text, Akamoth, Prunikos. But they're all this sort of Sophia, Shekinah goddess. So I would say it has to be one of those. It can't be, I don't know. Isis, I don't think it can even be Inanna, you know, maybe, but uh, I would say so. What do you guys think? Oh, I think, um, you know, the, the um, voice in Thunder of Perfect Mind is a voice of a source. A feminine to me is, is, is a source. You know, with men, there wouldn't be any generations, for example. It's women are the ones who bring forth the next generation with, you know, the help of men, of course. But um, in Thunder Perfect Mind, you're hearing the source speak in the feminine side of the source. And as the source, it is the source of, you know, all these different opposites. But it's the unity of opposites. You know, because as you were saying, Joanna, you know, it, she's the virgin and she's the whore. You know, it, it's it's the unity of everything. And so that's it's very deep and very powerful. That's that's what I get from it. I've read it several times. Well, that's thunder for you. And there's so much more again in my presentation. There is uh, gender bending, uh, which makes it complex. Uh, the voice is very much like Jesus in the Gospel of John, because when you read the Gospel of John, the truth is Jesus is in control of the entire thing. You know, 
he this is his story what he's doing and his sacrifice you know even though he gets attacked by the pharisees and crucified and mocked he's in control he is the great i am he is us thunder is the same way she is she knows what she has to do to be whole to be a complete supreme goddess and that includes a lot of bad things but she's like i'm writing this story i mean which one of us could write a, a book about our, a fictional book about our lives and go through that? Very few of us. We'd have to be John Wayne or somebody like that, right? <laughs> and live it. it. You know, just uh, I wanted to point out, um, so Lori in the chat um, made a comment, uh, actually a quote from Thunder Perfect Mind. And I was sent out from power, came to those pondering me, look at me, audience, hear me. Do not ignore me. And I, and I think that um, this is uh, what seems to, at least in my mind, link it with Sophia mm -hmm. in that this is Sophia is beckoning us. She's beckoning us to awaken that spark within us that she helped to bring to us. And, and I, I think that this is um, what the um, Thunder Perfect Mind is saying you know, she's, it's a beautiful, um, I was sent forth from the power and I've come to those who reflect upon me and I have been found among those who seek after me. So look upon me and, and you who are waiting for me, take me to yourselves. She's, she's reminding us, come, come to me. So that's a, a beautiful part of the poem that I think is a little bit overshadowed by the, the duality that is so prominent. Yeah, and of course, the voice of thunder as coming from Eve or Sophia does appear in certain gospels, like the gospel of Eve, I think, mm -hmm. the hypostasis. So thunder associated mm -hmm. with Sophia or Eve is also another mm -hmm. big giveaway. So Awesome. Uh, another question, Vance? Uh, okay, we'll um, let's more. see. Yeah, um, I'll have to pick one then if there's only going to be a couple more. We got one uh, question about um, whether or not um, we believe the archons are actual entities or do you believe they're allegorical slash metaphoric? Yes. Another. There's All right, next. Yeah, <laughs> no, next. <laughs> yeah, remember that quote I put up? Uh, the pyramid doesn't stand for something. It makes something invisible. <laughs> and as Paul Levy says, they are everything and they are nothing. They are. Mm -hmm. That's what makes them the archons, the ultimate villains, the ultimate teachers. Uh, I don't even know what well, else to say. We could do a whole show on the archons. Yeah. I should do a presentation on the archons because it's just, it's endless. Uh, it's hard. You know, think of the Matrix, you know, uh, Smith. Um, wasn't really any one of the inhabitants of the matrix. It was a, um, a program in the machine that nobody could mm. see in the matrix mm. and they take over one of the, the mm. bodies in the matrix. And, and I, I see a lot of archonic activity in that case, you know, like the, the are they, they inhabit one of us and they become, you know, the, the nasty, you know, like Hitler would be an archon, mm. right? Cause in whatever the spirit took over him, it would uh, turn him from the paper hanger to the archon. Mm. So um, I think a lot of it is that. But even in the unit, the universe itself, if you look the way it's structured, is the destructive forces of the universe are built in at the very, very lowest level. 
And those are arconic mm. forces. They're the ones that tear everything apart. It's it's the system mm. that that creates these things. So yeah, and, that's and as the, uh, as I've learned recently, we if we want to think like the Egyptians or the ancient Hindus, it can't be never either or. We have to have a more holistic way, a total way, which with the Hermeticism and the Gnostics mm -hmm. saw things. What do you think, Dan? You know, uh, Vance, that was really well put. Um, you know, I, I think that one of the great contributions of the Gnostic system is is the the whole concept of the Archons. That that you know, Sophia and the Archons were in, at least in the Sethian uh, system are, are 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 really the two main themes. And the idea that we're actually living in an Archonic world uh, is tremendous. I, I you know that, that's quite unique. I, I think in in the in the um, fine tuning of you know. Uh, a, a cosmology of, of where we are in the scheme of things. Um, and I, I, I think it's, uh, uh, it, it's the question sort of answers itself. It, it really, you know, it's, uh, it's both. It, it really, you know, you, if, you, if you try to put your finger on it, it disappears, <laughs> you know, and, and yet it is real. Hypostasis, the, the fundamental reality of the archons, you know, that, that, that title was not just thrown in there for no reason. It's it's quite uh, quite essentially a, a, a huge theme that we're working with, and yet I think it's really important for us to uh, put it in perspective and anchor ourselves in either the spark or the divine feminine or eros, you know, um, and that and, and 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 be you know very you know anchored and strong in that as we then look to the issue and the phenomenon of the archons. Well said. Yeah, it's like uh, bringing back 1899 at the end of the show, you go with the big reveal. You're like, is a hero the Demiurge or Sophia? Mm. And you almost <laughs> want to say yes, because mm. it's such a mind trip. It's so trippy. And mm. it's a sim like Vance would like because it's a simulation within a simulation. And who's the God above God? And you start going yikes <laughs> just enjoy the ride to the infinite power <laughs> yes it is it is hey Joanna, what... do you have uh, anything on the archons or i think it was all said by you very well i just would like to basically come back to, to what i said before that i, I definitely be personally believe in the reality of the archons not only something theor theoretical, but it definitely exists. But at the same time, I believe that the power is within us. And I think what Dan also so said so beautifully about the founder, perfect mind, it is, she says, do not ignore me. So this is this voice within you that is very quiet and yet it screams, you know, different level, you know, this is, th this is the real reality, right? And you actually in charge of this. You are actually supposed to flow with this, you know. So look within rather than maybe obsessing with the doings of the archons, you know, because they just do their own thing. And maybe they're just immature and selfish and, you know. And But if you, you know, if you take care of your own shit, you know, own your shit, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then then they have no power over you. And if we all do it individually, uh, eventually, you know, they will have to go wherever they came from, you know, like we will be free. So this is ultimately the way of liberation. And in some ways, in this way, 
actually archons can be a gift because they show you what's wrong mm. right just don't point fingers outside of yourself just what's wrong here and work on it so that, that's my take yeah it's like uh what did a gnostic priest said i've never seen an archon but i felt their effects on effects on the universe in my life and as jacques valet once said about uh uh, hostile aliens has said, ignore their ontological reality at your own peril. Don't want to think they believe, fine, but they're going to do what they're going to do, and that's it. So, um, awesome. Well, I wanted to do this presentation real quick, just like two or three slides. I think you guys will enjoy and it should answer a lot of questions. I have it over here, it's got a couple points. Uh, Everybody see it? Yes, you like uh, the little, that's uh, fan art. Uh, obviously, Sophia uh, make disciplining her son, Yaldi Baldi, uh, with, a, with a spear. That's what moms do, right? So, um, and uh, still one of the best books, which I still ask, uh, even though it was 2006 it came out, and that's uh, Professor Stephen Davis's The Secret Book of John, the Gnostic Gospel Annotated Explained. He, his commentary is just excellent, and he really gets to the heart of Gnosis. Uh, the scholarship might be a little bit outdated, but again, his summaries are just excellent. But he is talking about something important, because we're talking about ancient Egypt and how the Neoplatonists, the Hermeticists, and the Gnostics came out, and what makes them unique. And he talks about they are the mind model religion. And let me read it for you. Gnosticism is essentially a mind model religion like Buddhism, Advaita Vedanta, Hinduism, Kabbalistic Judaism, and Sufism. The Gnostic idea of cosmology as psychological evolution are similar to those of certain Eastern religions. The Samkhya philosophy as interpreted by Patanjali, author of the Yoga Sutras, claims that ignorance brings about the creation of what seems to be a world what seems to be a world, yeah, I'm accentuating too fast. Idealistic schools of Buddhism, such as Zen and Tibetan Vajrayana, probably mispronouncing, teach that the world is brought into being as external materiality by the ignorance of persons who so perceive it. They claim that the Buddha mind is all and everywhere and co coextensive with the human mind. Kashmir Shaiv Shaivism is very much like Gnosticism, but with one crucial difference. It maintains that the godhead Shiva deliberately forgot itself and became us in order to enjoy the splendor of discovering God again. Gnosticism regards that process as a tragedy growing out of a mistake. Mythology is narrative, and narrative demands plot, places, and persons. Remember your worldview, what I said, your worldview and your beliefs? Gnosticism's use of myth to communicate its main idea led it into difficulty because there is a fundamental incompatibility between mind model religion and social model religion. That would be most of the Western religions until the, you know, 90, the Eastern influence 19th century. The mind is not at all like a society and not at all like per person, social roles, or a series of spheres and chambers. The physics of mind is not the same as the physics of society. To use myth to communicate mind model religion cannot help but cause confusion. 
If we take the metaphor of mind seriously, we can see that Gnostics took upon themselves the incredible task of psychoanalyzing God. They did this work throughout in, through introspection, presuming that since each awakened human is an aspect of God, undiluted self-knowledge is equivalent to knowledge of God. The career of the divine mind, its fall into illusion and self-forgetfulness, was not something independent of human existence, but quite the contrary, because each individual is or has been the Godhead failing to know itself. Each individual has a personal history of the fall of God. And that's what he said in my book when I quoted, he said this in my book, Voices of Gnosticism. Stephen Davis said, I think the Gnostic, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that Gnosticism is about discovering the way that God has turned into you and then realizing that if you can describe how it is that God turned into you, you can rever reverse the process. I think that's what it is about. And Dan brought this quote from the three cellars of Seth. I did it too. The way of ascent is the way of descent. Know therefore as those who live that you have attained and you taught yourselves the infinite things. So that's what I want to say that's very distinctive about Gnosticism. It's a mind model religion. It does not fit in normal society. It never has fit and never fit in Western Europe because it is a completely, as the ancient Egyptians were completely alien to the Greeks and the Romans and the Persians, the Gnostics were so alien because they were in a world of eternity, in a world of the one mind. As Joanna knows, this attitude has worked well in, in the Eastern as it's evolved and society has sort of accepted it to an extent. But that's the whole idea about Gnosticism. That's why they were believed in altered states of mind because you can't solve a problem with the same mind that created them and you have to get yourself out of this normative life to see eternity. So that's part of what I wanted. Let me know what you guys think. I need some water. When's your next book coming out? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Good question. I have so many books. Yes, I do. I have. I, I want to approach a couple about a book on inspirational Gnosticism, but then I have this idea. I want to write a book about Elvis. So I have this idea. <laughs> Seriously, there's this battle between wow. me write a book about Gnosticism or Elvis. So I'll have to let the. I don't know what to do. I'll have to go to the Oracle at Delphi or something. To, <laughs> or there must be some conspiracy theory that Elvis was a closet Gnostic. He what? No, no. Oh, I, I, I oh. will make the. He <laughs> okay. read the Gospel of Thomas. Oh my god! He knew. He knew of the Gnostics. He read it. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. He knew of the Gnostics. He had vision. He had a vision of the demiurge, like Philip K. Dick, like blow oh, by blow, what? the same. I mean, there is so much the world doesn't know that's been covered up by the memphis mafia about yeah. his like spiritual life okay. but uh Ooh. it just oh, that would be a wonderful book then i'm completely yeah. convinced you have to write this book and i'll be the first to buy because like i didn't know any of this you know i actually bought in into the you know elvis uh, image you know that mm. he was who he was but if, it looks like he wasn't who he was he was America's shaman, America's greatest mm -hmm. wizard and people. It's been hidden like the mm -hmm. wisdom of the Gnostic. Wow. But, in plain um, sight. Yeah. In plain sight. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, I hope that answers more or less what Anonymous, what do you think, wanted to know, Vance? Because this really puts the Gnostics, this, all the Gnostic groups completely 
separated from most Western religions. Again, in the 19th century, Eastern thought came into uh, Europe, Schopenhauer and all that. So, and German idealism and Hegel. So then the, the mind model religion became very popular in Western culture around the 19th century. But it was yeah. Hermeticism that sort of still kept this idea going. Yeah, I think uh, I think you did answer it because uh, you know Gnosticism is not a social religion. Uh, uh, Reverend uh, Barlow G um, was saying that uh, something man. similar. Uh, he's he's with us tonight in in the audience, and he was saying that um, uh, it's centralized, like Catholicism is centralized, and all the power is in the the priests and the pope and so forth. Whereas you know Gnosticism, it's you know spread out among each each Gnostic. So you know that's it's a kind of another way of saying it. It's not outside. You know, it's it's uh, the social religions. Everything's outside. It's in the structure, yeah. not with you. You were just kind of hanging on to the structure, and you mm -hmm. depend on others to do so. So yeah, yeah. I think I think it was it was, it was true. Yes, yeah, as, as Dr. Heller said, salvation is not about following outer laws. It's about inner re revelation. Kind of like Buddhism is similar to that, right? It's yeah, yeah, this interior awakening that changes it. And to I like, me, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, to me, the distinction between Gnostics saying it was a tragedy and Sophia and the consort and so forth, you know, uh, and and um, besides God, God deliberately forgetting itself. If you really look at it carefully, is it really the same thing, you know, just from a different mm -hmm. point of view? Because mm -hmm. if if the if the mighty one, uh, you know, the in, in you know unfathomable one, uh, obviously got to this point where it split itself up and you know there's all these different apparent pieces and apparent different sparks so maybe that that could be viewed as a tragedy just as well as sophia you know just Very basically much. a mechanism or a myth mythological mechanism to describe it so i don't see gnosticism as that much it's just a slightly bit of kind of a flavor from indian advaita you know to, to me all is mind, yes. And if anybody yeah. wants these slides, email me or I'll send you a PDF. Again, this is something I put together. Um, the other thing I wanted to share real quick, I hope, quick, I hope you don't mind, is, uh, again, uh, Howdy Mikowski, great book, uh, is straight from the AM by Gnostic Ethos. This will come out in a couple of days. But sometimes people ask me, you know, Joanna and Vance, you've seen me do all these recreations in our group. It's in the virtual how baroque and intense the Gnostics were about these mind altering religions and all the preparation that could take months and the passwords to the pleroma. And, yeah. it was just, and that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. It was great. But something that I'd forgotten and I had a cleansing done by this, uh, the psychic cleansing done a couple of weeks ago by this great witch. Her name was Ava. And she told me it's so simple to get to, she says, you're being attacked. She told me, watch out when you, in your intros, when you, whenever you talk about the archons, have a little prayer on the side because you are mm -hmm. inviting them into your room, mm -hmm. into just by talking, even if Vance and I are mocking Yaldi Baldi, you know, do something they're always attacking and but she says the cleansing all it takes is a simple no i was like really i don't have to do these magic and put on a hoob uh, a hat and no consent this universe is run by consent in the spiritual world and howard writes in his book um 
some ideas to fight the archons or if you're astral traveling. And he writes, we might create affirmations such as I am free and sovereign, stay away from the white light, return home. I will not return to planet crazy. That's if you see the light, avoid it, as they say. You get the idea. My suggestion would be to keep them as positive as possible. Focus on where you want to go, not what you don't want. I think this is a valuable tool to have ready as a direction on intent as the death event approaches. Howard writes a lot about how to break from the reincarnation. Uh, the Nag Hammadi chapter, Apocryphon of James, tells us that we will need to remind the Archons that we know we are not a material form, that we come from the Pleroma, the true oneness, and that that is our home. Knowing this and telling them is a reminder to the Demiurge slash Archons that they are not from the Pleroma and such have no power to keep you away from it. This could also be part of a CD tape or sheet of paper, have somebody read it, electricity. He talks about these exercises, and it's true. The Nag Hammadi says that if you're out there in outer space, you've died, you're taking it, or they're attacking, just say, this is not my home. I have another home. That's all you need to do to deal with the Archons. Or as this witch told me, just say no. Just say no. You have no power. But, of course, all the rest is great. No problem on all that. So just wanted to share that with you guys. Oh, you're on mute, Vance. Or did the Archons take your voice like thunder? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they took my voice. <laughs> Different focus. <laughs> Focused on the other chat window. Uh, one thing I found, you have to recognize when that little voice in your head is archonic. If you think it's mm -hmm. your voice, then you'll buy into it and say, oh, no, you know, mm -hmm. I'm going to get sick. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Well, wait a minute. You know, if you, if you step outside it and you kind of hear it, and you can recognize it for what it is to say, banish it. And then it's mm -hmm. gone, which is kind of basically what, what I believe you just said. Mm. And there's also the uh, anchoring in the source, you know, in solve for in, uh, ineffable um, that, um, you know, this is where I, I am anchored into and you know, definitely outside of the archonic realms. Um, and uh, and this was uh, the wonderful story of Norea mm -hmm. in the um, I, I, hypostasis of the of the archons, where Norea just says, you know, archon, you know, Yeldabaoth is saying, okay, you've got to be subservient to me, and she says, no, you know, ferocious <laughs> rage, you know, I will not be dominated by you, and she calls up. To the you know the higher angelic realm that's that that is um, you know because they're pretty powerful and and so and that the higher you know Alethea uh, Alethea mm -hmm. comes down and uh, basically says yes girl we got you covered <laughs> <laughs> yes Good. well said indeed Alethea my favorite. I think it's L. Oh yeah, you were you were asking about Alethea. Yeah, I probably pronounced it wrong, but yeah, so that's where she shows up is in the hypostasis of the Archons as one of the four high angels. I have to read that again. Yeah, and the interaction with Maria is really really wonderful. 
this is a Valentinian uh, tradition, right? Is that true? In some systems, yeah. Some yeah, systems. She, she only they, appears they, there's in, a lot of borrowing. Yeah. yeah, the name only appears in certain systems, but uh... awesome. <clears throat> well, uh, I think that was the end of that. Uh, audience questions, Vans. Yeah, we got some buffered up here. Well, let's pick one. Um, oh, here's here's an easy one, short one. Um, Miguel, for Miguel, what is your favorite soundbite that you've ever played? <laughs> oh, my God. That's so hard. I know what it is. I'm going to guess nipples right. for men. <laughs> I think it might be when I got uh, the software back when uh, Audacity, not Audacity, um, what the hell was the name of the one? Adobe Audition. Audition. I think being able to take out uh, Keanu Reeves saying I know Kung Fu was a huge task, you know, because I couldn't do it. So I was very proud of it to be able to rip that from the Internet. Now it just takes I can do it really second. I think the ones that get me excited, honestly, might be anything from uh, True Detective, because I think Russ, the protagonist, really goes into the heart of Gnosticism. <clears throat> and his ideas and the ending of the first season is the mo one of the most beautiful positive and manichaean endings at all his cosmology of the stars and everything so I always dug and of course i have a soft spot for anything of the matrix but god so I've, i think i've i think i've got the entire movie and sound bites in a folder in my hard drive honestly just the entire thing so I like that one from uh, Jacob's Ladder, where the chiropractor is, I, mean, I forget the names now, uh, tells him, you know, the, about the angels ripping out things from him. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, gosh, I wish I remembered it. But that that really hit a chord with me. Yeah, yeah, he's talking about Eckhart, the, the mystic. Meister Eckhart, yeah, that angels, yeah. Are, the, de the devils are angels if you let them strip your egoic self. Right. And take that, just like Joanna was saying, they can be our teachers too. <laughs> I was like, is that a soundbite from Vance? No. <laughs> soundbite from the, the Christmas tree is going up tonight. Oh, yeah, already? Awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I gotta buy it. My son wanted it up there. So uh, somebody asked if, uh, if the, uh, if the uh, Islamic people, you know, if the Prophet Muhammad, uh, does Gnosticism mention Prophet Muhammad? And I, uh, I answered it in, in the um, in the chat, saying, "Well, you know, uh, Islam was a little bit too late by then. Gnosticism had, you know, kind of died down." Um, but well, Muhammad probably did know about Gnosticism. <clears throat> there are many hints. I wrote about it, but perhaps the main one is in Islam. The Jesus doesn't die; he is plucked at the last minute, and uh, somebody else is put there. I forgot what the what the Quran says. That tradition only happens in Gnostic groups. Basilides, uh, Acts to, I think the, the, the Apocalypse of Peter, a few others. So Muhammad, and there's other very big hints that Muhammad was drawing from source, either from the Manichaeans or there were some uh, breakaway Gnostic groups or something. So he, yeah. and of course, then Sufism and a whole bunch of Gnostic ideas, of course, permeate in yeah. Islam. He mentioned, he was asking, does Gnosticism mention Muhammad, though, not the other way around? Mm -hmm. 
you're saying, uh, does, you know, did Muhammad know about Gnosticism? Yeah, the, the appendix in my book includes that, that quote from the Quran uh, about mm -hmm. Jesus and at the, at the, you know, he didn't die. Exactly. But yeah, none of the, I don't think, uh, yeah, Muhammad was what, sixth century by then, the Gnostics. Yeah. Were, they basically turned into Manichaeans or there were uh, Paulinists fighting the Byzantine Empire. You know, they were just away from Arabia. Want another question here? I got sure. More. Let's do one more question and then we oh, one more. Oh no, you put me on the spot. I got to pick one or two um, short ones. Uh, let's see. Um, here we go. Uh, Anon wanted to know. Um, let's see. Are the Iacons evil or just misunderstood? Yes. Again. Okay. <laughs> we cannot go we can never do either or. We can't. I know that's again, we are thinking of that that thinking that is that destroyed the empire, the subjugated women that starts war, that linear thinking. We have to we have to try to let go and then we really understand mm -hmm. archons or thunder and all that. So. It's evil and misunderstood. See? <laughs> yeah, what is he what does he mean by evil? I don't know. What there is evil? Go. And um, Oswald Spengler wants to know if, uh, Joanna, do you know anything about Judith von Hall, Swiss anthroposophist, who, I, I can't say that right, who claims to have experienced stigmata directly? Uh, no, unfortunately, I, I didn't hear about her. Although, you know, people had, right, uh, stigmata, so... But no, I didn't hear that about this particular woman. I'm sorry. Do you have any favorite medieval mystic women, Joanna? Oh, I'm being put on the spot now. Because yeah, um, there's, there's quite a few. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking who. Let me think about this for a moment, okay? All right. So, yeah, Hildegard is probably the most popular, That's right? Almost, because, yeah, yeah. because she she was so universal really right and she was uh, uh, she, she was very rebellious you know so she was even trying to teach in the church you know and, and and bossing the popes around at the same time saying oh i'm nobody i'm just a humble woman and she was a scientist so you know she was this kind of wild mystic and it's a mystery but like meister eichhardt they were not called heretics and I think some scholars argue that it was this unique time at the time, you know, in, in Germany especially, that uh, somehow they could get away with this, you know, like uh, that neither Master Eckhart or Hildegard were called heretics. But for example, St. Francis could be called a heretic as well. But the, the way I know, for example, how he managed not to be called a heretic, because he said that you have to always honor the priest. Mm. And this, after that, you know, whatever he said, it was okay because he kind of, you know, nod in the direction of a church. But I think, I think yes, probably Hildegard, but I'm not being very original here. I would have to think about, uh, you know, Julian of Norwich, you know, like there are lots of, lots of there's a... Teresa uh, de Avila. Bridget of yeah, Bridget yeah. of Sweden also. Joan of Arc. Yeah, mm. of course, yeah. Except that it's kind of sad, you know, what happened to her, <laughs> you know? So I, I'm looking more about women who had a little bit more fun. I mean, like, they, they, they were wild mystics and, and they got away with it, you know, so. 
Well, good deal. Yeah, good deal. Yeah, and I know I don't know if you've read some of Diana Passos because uh, earlier she says that uh, Teresa de Avila, her vision, it's been completely changed by art yes. and priests. That originally she was describing saucers and orbs, not angels and God. Yeah. So, and she, she, says she had she had an alien visitation for all practical purposes. Yeah, for, for, <laughs> because she says it was actually very painful. So it, it's not this kind mm. of beautiful angelic vision, but it's almost like <laughs> laser beams, you know, were going through her, and it was like she was being penetrated by them. So it sounds basically like alien abduction. Right. Yeah. Ooh. So. Yeah, but a wonderful mystic at the same time. Yeah. Awesome. Well, one last question, and we can start wrapping up. It's been a great conversation. Bent. Those Some archons took. I had a question. Boy, I got a problem with these archons tonight. <laughs> yeah, that's it for the questions. All right. Well, awesome. Well, guys, it's been, a, again, a great conversation. Everybody in the chat, good questions, good questions for from Patreon, good discussions. We, I should probably do a show on Islam and Gnosticism mm -hmm. or, or do something because it's been a while. I have not done justice to the Islamic Gnosticism in a while, and I should honor that wonderful tradition. But, uh, yeah, let's wrap it up. Again, check out the virtual Alexandria Academy course. I'll have more. Check out uh, Joanna's new course. It's great. I love it. And everything else she's doing. So, Joanna, thank you. And please let the audience know what they need to know about you. Oh, okay. Thank you. So, uh, uh, thank you. So, uh the book is on Amazon. The course is on my publisher's site, but you can also go to my site, joannacuyava.com, and there you see the Goddesses of Eros and Secret Knowledge course if you want to check it out. And I'll be posting something on my Facebook soon about the uh, Women of Wisdom Gathering and my talk on Mary Magdalene and the Esoteric Egypt, which will be on the 21st of December, your time. Uh, around 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern uh, time. So, uh, but yes, you know, so I hope that I can connect with you this way. Thank you. And thank awesome. you for talking about it, Miguel. Yeah. And Dan, uh, great uh, talking to you again. I always enjoy your work, you, what you have to say. And yeah, everybody definitely also get uh, The Divine Spark Within. It's uh, mm. an important book, regardless of how you approach Gnosticism. Where can people find out about you, Dan? At this yeah. rate, you'll probably be in some jail, but tonight you're free. <laughs> where, where can they find out about you? So, yes. Uh, so my website is sophiaproject.net. And you can purchase the book through there and also see my articles and everything is, you know, available through that portal. And thanks so much, uh, Miguel and Vance, for this opportunity and, and wonderful hanging out with you, Joanna, and, and having this great conversation here. And thanks to everybody. My gosh. Great questions. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Smart guys, insightful, wise people in the group. Uh great group and they've got uh so much knowledge i'm envious and vance thank you for uh keeping things under control we don't know how many of you are on the pin of <laughs> a needle but uh maybe we'll find out one day well you know I, it occurred to me i should have asked how big is the pin <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly well thanks vance and uh thanks everybody else uh please uh this will be out in audio soon 
it will be on all channels after we say goodbye but as i always say uh thanks for being here thanks for being yourself your true self here in the desert of the real you have a purpose and it's amazing and as always write your own gospel and live your own myth good night everyone bet mgm has an unreal deal for sports fans in virginia turn five dollars into 150 dollars instantly when you place your first wager at bet mgm simply download the bet mgm app and sign up using code champion 150 then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.